Amen. Thank you, Miss Ruth, Miss Hyde. Joshua chapter 9. If you grab your Bibles, Joshua chapter number 9. If you will join us there as we get into this morning's message, the sermon, the Bible study. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible right there in front of you. We call it a pew Bible because it's in the pew, so easy to call it a pew Bible. And so we'd love for you to grab that. If you're trying to find that page, that's page 147, 147 in the pew Bible. But Joshua chapter number 9, the title of the message this morning is simply this, How to Make a Bad Decision. How to make a bad decision. That's good counsel, isn't it? And I believe the passage bears that out for us and gives us some great ways to make sure that we're not doing that. But here it is, how to make a bad decision. And I love the book of Joshua. Boy, it's so uh, exciting, the stories and the transitions that are taking place here. And uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. I've been studying my own devotion, shared some devotional thoughts from it here. And uh, I think basketball, some teachers meetings, some other things too. And the story found in chapter 9, to me is one of the most, one of my favorite, one of the most fascinating of this extremely fascinating book. It's really a story of caution and warning to us all. And so that's why I've entitled the message, How to uh, Make a Bad Decision. Really, that's what Israel teaches us here, isn't it? And we'll see that uh, bear out. Let's get a little background, shall we? In chapter 8, look at verses 24 and 25 with me, if you will. Joshua chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. Verse 25, and so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. It is the great defeat of Ai. Israel has sinned. God had judged them. Their first attempt to take Ai, they had gone back to camp, and it had been revealed. God had shown it to Joshua. They dealt with their sin. They took care of it, and now they're restored to blessings by God. And this is a great day of victory. This is a great day of blessing. God's now worked in the nation and and doing great things in their midst. It's a good time for Israel. They've come off a very difficult time with that sin and dealing with it. Now we might say they've gotten to the mountaintop spiritually. They have arrived and boy, things are going fantastically well. Now look at verse 30 of the same chapter, chapter 8, verse 30. This is, uh, then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel, Mount Ebal. So here they are, they're worshiping God. They're doing well. They're saying, God, you deserve the praise. You deserve the glory. And we would say they're worshiping him. They're praising him here. They're rejoicing in his blessing. And it even gets better. Look down at verse 34 with with me, if you will. And afterwards, speaking of Joshua, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Man, what a great statement. Now, not only are they are worshiping God, they're on the mountaintop spiritually. Here's what's happening. They're reading and studying God's word. They're listening to it. The whole congregation is gathered together. One of the neatest aspects about this story if you look back a couple of verses, when Joshua built the altar, he actually wrote the law on all the rocks that made the altar. Now that would have been something to see, wouldn't it? Uh, here he is writing the law on the rocks that they used to build the altar. Then they turn around and they read uh, God's word among the congregation. 
You can imagine, here they were, they're hearing the the promise of blessings. If you stick to God, stay faithful, follow Him, obey God, here are the blessings that are come. And we we read the, the cursings too. If you fail to follow God, if you fail to take Him into account, and you make sure that He is the God that you're following, there'll be cursings, there'll be negative consequences. We would very much say at the end of chapter 8, and certainly um, uh, these chapters are stuck in later, the fact is this, they are set up for great success. This is a great time in Israel. Things are going smoothly, going well now. It's a bit of a spiritual revival among Israel. They're enjoying it. We might say they're riding on cloud nine, and certainly along with that, their emotions are high too. You can imagine through the camp there was an excitement, a buzz. They thought, well, we, if we took care of Ai and Jericho, and God said he's going to deliver everybody else into our hands, we can conquer the whole promised land. And so, boy, this is a, this is a pumped up time. I think of it maybe in terms of a, a sports team where you get all pumped up in the locker room before you take the field or you take the court and boy they're just pumped things are fantastically going well and there's nothing but great potential ahead and that's what we find and it's it has a ripple effect through the promised land the people of the promised land and the people of uh, that area boy they're scared to death in fact some of the verses describe them that their heart is melting like water and so word of all this destruction and even the ones from 40 years before are passing and you'll even see the beginning of chapter 9 here. The kings have to decide, are we going to stand up against Israel or are we going to come up with some other means to survive, to live, to withstand the, this grand wave called the Jews? Some of the kings joined together. I believe it's around verse 3 there. They decide, let's get together and we'll fight against Israel that way. And so we'll try to overwhelm them with numbers. That's the first couple verses of chapter 9. But then in verse 3, we are introduced to a people of a great city. They're called the Gibeonites, the city of Gibeon. In chapter 10, it's called a royal city. And there it's also described as having many more mighty men than Ai had. So it's a much greater city, much bigger city. It's more capable of standing up against Israel, though with God fighting for Israel, there's no way anyone was going to stand against them. And uh, the people of this city saw what happened. They had heard much of what had happened. And again, not only just there in the promised land under Joshua, but also before the crossing of the Red Sea and out in the wilderness, the, the kings and the nations defeated. There And so they decided, they made up their mind that uh, the, the old adage as it goes, they concluded that if they couldn't beat Israel, they join them. And so that was really their goal. And they said, okay, how are we going to do that? Because Israel's not making any peace treaties with anybody. They're, they're not sitting down at the table and, and uh, entertaining ambassadors. and everything. They're not doing that of anybody who lives in the promised land. So they make up a decision that they're going to fool Israel into sparing their own lives to make a treaty with them there's only one problem with that from israel's perspective and god's perspective the commandment is very clear they weren't supposed to allow anyone who lived in the promised land to live god had already declared back in leviticus and even deuteronomy i believe the fact that these people who were living in the promised land had committed abominable actions they have kind of uh, shirked god and just kind of rebelled against him not kind of they did and they kind of threw off everything god said i i i have to judge them and israel's going to be the means of judging them for their sin their abominations and so israel's supposed to go and really clean the slate clear them all out kill them all That was the commandment given to the nation, to Joshua, and even to uh, Moses before him. 
So verses 4 and 5 now describe for us the elaborate lengths they went to in order to deceive the leaders of Israel. Look at verse 4 of chapter 9. They did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. They took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and, and rent and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Man, I tell you, that's quite the disguise, isn't it? I mean, you look at the descriptions here, the old coverings for their donkeys, that, the old torn uh, water bottles, grape juice that they held in there, uh, the torn up, worn out holes in them, things are falling apart. Then they had their shoes, and, and, and they went and, uh, probably among the whole people of the city of Gibeon, they said, okay, who has the worst shoes? We need your shoes. You got the most holes. Okay, that's perfect. They look dusty and old. They look like they would have been worn for many days. And we'll take that. That's perfect. That's great. And they took old clothes like they've been traveling forever, dust covered and everything. Man, they went to great lengths to convince uh, Israel and Joshua, the leaders, the princes, that they were from afar. They weren't from the promised land. And I like the last one. Uh, they, they, they took bread, right? They, they, they took bread, musty and old and, and moldy. Yeah, you, you ever open up a loaf of bread or maybe hot dog buns and that smell hits you and then you see and you see a little bit of spotches of green, you know, and uh, then you go ahead and feed it to your kids anyway. No, I'm just kidding. You don't do that. But uh, uh, you see them and that smell overwhelms you, that, that molds. There. Oh, that's what they did. They're like, hey, we're from way far away. See what happened? Our bread already got moldy. And they probably didn't have the preservatives uh, that we have today. For us, it would take about six months for it to get moldy in some of the bread. But anyway, uh, there, it was moldy and crusty and hard and everything else. And, hey, look at this, Israel. We come from afar. It's a great disguise or ruse as we might describe it as. They, they showed them all these elaborate aspects of that. Now look at verse 14, if you will, with me. They have presented it to them, Joshua and the princes. Verse 14, and the men, that's speaking of Joshua and the leaders, took of their victuals, not eating it, they, they just gazed upon it, they considered it, they, they looked at it, they inspected probably, yeah, these, these shoes have holes and victuals, the food, the, the, yeah, the bread is moldy, and boy, these, these wine bottles, yeah, they're falling apart, they got holes, they, they've been around for a while, and Joshua, and, oh, excuse me, back up, and ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. In simple Greek, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now we've got the classic mistake of some of God's people. See, so what is that? Well, you and I can easily fall into it too. You know what we do in life is exactly what Israel did here. And often when things are going well, but often too when things aren't going as well as we would like them to. You know what we do? We minimize God and we maximize ourselves. We minimize God and we maximize ourselves. We, we, in decision making, in, in choices, in life, and things we do, we, we minimize God, His impact, His part, His role, and we maximize ourselves. We might put it this way, for Israel, they left God out of the decision-making part of this crucial interaction with the people of Gibeon. It's a terrible mistake, great failure, a great sin, and boy, did it have dire consequences. 
Uh, it, it was a terror. I mean, coming off this spiritual mountaintop, coming off this great, boy, this high, in a sense, spiritual high. I mean, things were going fantastic. Just defeated AI. Everybody's scared of them. Their uh, kings are getting together to fight. I mean, they are doing great. And all of a sudden, comes to a dramatic halt. So what happened? What led him here? Well, in a basic analysis, in a very general sense, we, we have described, and I've preached a message about it in some degree, they, they walked by sight, not by faith. And that is a fair characterization. They walked by sight, they didn't walk by faith, and we'll develop that a little bit more uh, in asking this deeper question. What does walking by sight look like? Whether it be this situation with Israel and Joshua or your life and my life, what does, how, how do we look at our lives and say, okay, when I came to that, uh, that fork in the road, that decision time, the choice to be made, and, and day by day, how, how do I know that I'm walking by sight as opposed to walking by faith? What does that mean even? How, how does one do that? Well, let me submit to you three ways in which you and I can say, okay, yep, I'm walking by sight, not by faith. The first is this, we can identify us walking by sight by the fact that we give more value to our emotions in the decision-making progress or process than they deserve. We allow our emotions to have more value, more determination, more input, more investment uh, in the decision-making process when we face things. For the Israelites, their emotions were up, no doubt. They, they probably thought no one could stop them. They were invincible. They were the conquerors of the world and certainly at least the promised land. Confidence and pride and self-assurance and, uh, were, were through the ceiling. And along with them, their emotions, no doubt, went right with them. Their emotions were playing well into this. Ha ha, look at this group of people that want to make a treaty with us from far away. They're not even the promised land, and they're scared to death of what God has done through us and the victories we've won. Ha, this is fantastic. Yeah, let's sign this treaty. Motion's carrying them away, running away with them, impacting that decision beyond what they should have, giving them more credit than they deserve. Now listen to me, it isn't just those positive emotions. In our lives, all kinds of emotions like anger and bitterness and disappointment and discouragement, we can give them more credence than they deserve in decision making. The exact same way that Israel here takes positive emotions and allows them to kind of determine things that they ought not to. May I make a simple statement concerning this? We can easily allow our emotions to run away with us or control us or make that decision out of our reaction emotionally or we can just simply allow our emotions, emotions to over-influence a decision. And yet the Bible says instead of allowing that to happen, you and I ought to have our emotions controlled by the Holy Spirit. Using God's Word, no doubt. May I submit to you, now, now listen carefully. If you are a highly emotional person, we may describe it different ways. Hey, I wear my emotions on my sleeves. I, I can get up quickly and I can get low quickly. And well, how do you describe it? Now, no, let's step back a moment. Let's just make this statement. All of us are emotional beings. We have emotions. Some just display it more. Some are more emotional or more expressive in their emotions. Got it. And God made us all different and that's good, isn't it? Okay? We don't want everybody to be a bump on a log and hardly smile. We want some expression of emotions. And boy, it's great when you have emotional people who express it and participate. I mean, that's fantastic. Emotions are good. How do we know they're good? Because God created them. 
He gave them to us. So it's okay to have emotions. Emotions are good, but don't let emotions control you. And if you're an excessively emotional person, you have to be especially on guard. Your emotions don't run away with you. They don't enter into the decision-making process more than they ought, more than they deserve. Because you and I both know it. If you're controlled by your emotions, life will be difficult. Be disappointing. Be full of heartaches and sorrow and problems that you cause in your emotions running away with you. Boy, the Bible speaks to it very clearly. First, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says what? Be careful for nothing. It's speaking to anxiety, being worried, and an emotion of just, oh, just so worked up over things. And boy, letting uh, emotions run away. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice this. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. See, my circumstances may not dictate that I should have peace right now, but I do because it's the peace of God. I'm not careful for everything. I'm not worried about everything. I've turned it over to God in prayer and supplication. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to get worked up over it. Peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall, and notice the statement, keep your hearts. Lift up your heart, strengthen your hearts, guard your heart from further emotional uh, torment and, and guiding and, directing and controlling. Keep your hearts in your minds through Christ Jesus. I like that mind part. Because you know what emotional people do? Emotional people will often get worked up on something. You know what they constantly do for the next few hours, the next couple days, the next couple weeks? All they do is think about that thing that got them emotionally worked up. And they just get more emotionally worked up and more emotionally worked up and more emotionally worked up. It's like stoking a fire. As they think about it, they worry about it more and they get worked up over and so forth. Israel, no doubt, is like, wow, this is great. We're so awesome. They came to make a treaty for us, with us. And man, boy, our reputation has gone before us. And I just believe that their emotions kind of got built up and thing. And boy, all they could think about was we're something. And you know what we read there in verse 14? They failed to ask counsel of the Lord. Kept him away from God, seeking his wisdom, allowing him to speak to this particular circumstance. My friend, I'll tell you, he says peace here in Philippians. You know elsewhere what he says? You know what peace is the product of? Well, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, or part of the fruit of the Spirit. So you don't get peace if emotions are in control. You know what you get peace from? When the Holy Spirit's in control. It's a product of the Holy Spirit. When you and I yield and surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have peace produced along with joy and happiness and all these other things uh, that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. That's what we enjoy. May I submit to you, you want to make the wrong decision today, tomorrow, this week, and something that you face, you want to make the wrong decision, give more value to your emotions than they deserve. Be controlled by your emotions while you, uh, you kind of push the Holy Spirit that indwells you to the back seat. Give your emotions that value. You'll make a bad decision. Make a wrong decision. You allow the emotions to run away with you. Number two, you know how else we walk by sight? We give more credence and credibility to our own thinking than anything else. More importantly than to what God says. God's opinion. 
We give more credence and credibility to our own thinking. You see, Joshua and the men, what did they do? Well, they relied on their own recently informed knowledge and logic. Just recently established, self-established. They looked and they took the victuals. They looked at the, the, what was on the donkey. And they looked at the clothes and the shoes. And they looked at the food and uh, those wine bottles. And they looked and said, oh, yeah, yeah, they must be from far away. I say, I mean, look, I just, so they're relying on their own logic, their own knowledge, greatly dependent on their own thinking in this decision-making process, which can be good at times, but wasn't in the, this case for one big reason. You know what the reason was? Their thinking was not informed by God and His Word. See, you can trust your thinking when it's informed and established on God and His Word. But I'll tell you, when you and I are left to ourselves, you know the Bible says the end of our ways are what? Destruction. Problems. Difficulties. The opposite of what we desire. That's our own thinking. Our own way. And my friend Joshua and the Israelites found that out tragically. It's fallible, if we might describe it as such. Here they, uh, here they are, they took in by sight what was presented to them. They relied solely on their own understanding, thinking logic, and they used it as a good portion of the basis for making that decision. And as we read in verse 14, they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Did you catch that? They didn't pause to pray about it. They didn't say, let's, let, let's go back and, and, and let, let's, just take, let's, let's just take some time and before we make this decision. Let's pray about it. Let's see what God says. And Joshua should have known this because God had spoken to him at times, spoken through the law and so forth, uh, even through the Holy Spirit. God, God would have gladly given them wisdom and knowledge. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. May I tell you, that truth and that principle was just as real in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And just as real as it is today. It's a promise from God. If you lack wisdom. And yet they didn't do that. They didn't ask for wisdom. They didn't let, let him speak to this specific situation. May I submit this to you? Never forget this reality. God wants to speak to your specific situation. Our God is a God of specifics. Through His Word and through the Holy Spirit indwelling you, God has wisdom for every situation you face. There's nothing that He doesn't have the answer to. There's nothing that He can't give wisdom. God's not up in heaven and say, Oh my, oh my, Pastor Aaron faced that this week. <laughs> I don't have any answers for that. Good luck, Pastor Aaron. God doesn't do that. God has all the wisdom that you and I, and you could go for every single person throughout this auditorium and every single person in the world, and may I tell you, God has an answer for every situation we face. Every situation, every specific situation, there's not something that you're going to stump God on. You know, some children delight in stumping their parents. Did you know this, Dad? Mom, did you know this? You'll never do that with God. You can try for the rest of your life and for all eternity. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And my friend, that includes having the knowledge and wisdom to speak to your specific situation through His Word, through the Holy Spirit. He'll guide and direct you, but they fail to allow Him to speak. He desires and wants to give wisdom and understanding, and that deserves much more credence and credibility than our own thinking. 
Now, when we have done that, when we have spoken to God and and desired Him to teach us through His Word and the Holy Spirit, the fact is our thinking and our logic can then be informed and established upon the counsel of God. And boy, when we are established in thinking according to the counsel of God, then we can trust our own thinking and logic. When our minds are renewed by the Word of God, God says that throughout the New Testament. He wants to renew our thinking through the Word of God. And as our thinking is renewed, we can start thinking like God, and then, boy, we can trust our own thinking. Because it's informed and it's established upon the counsel and the Word of God. Hey, my friend, you want to make the wrong decision today? Give more credence and credibility to your own uninformed uh, by the Word of God thinking than anything else. You'll make a wrong decision. You start saying, I, I know what to do here. I don't need to ask God. I, I don't need to seek his will and in his direction and get wisdom. I, I know what to do. Boy, that's a good step in making a wrong decision. Walking by sight. Thirdly, I want you to see this reality. Um, third, what we see and perceive are prioritized over what God knows. What you and I see or perceive are prioritized over what God knows. That's how you walk by sight. We act upon what we see in any given situation, what uh, the present circumstances. We, in the rawness of the moment, when we perceive what we perceive is given priority over what God knows. Let me ask you a few questions. These are rhetorical, but if you want to answer out loud, you can. Okay? Did God know who the Gibeonites were? Yes. Did God know where they were from? Yes. Did God know they were putting up a disguise? Yes. Did God have the ability to help Israel make a good decision? Yes, sure did. But what did Israel operate on? What they saw. It wasn't about what God knew. It's what they saw. Look at this situation. This is terrible. We've got to deal with this, or this is great. They they want to surrender us. They want to have a treaty with us. It's fantastic. Let's just make it. Let's let's make peace with them right away. And they asked not counsel of God. May I submit to you that when our choices and our decisions and our reactions are made and determined greatly by just what we see and perceive, and they are not subject to the unseen and what is known to God alone, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. God never expected you and I to walk through this life called the Christian life, the Christian walk, without his knowledge. You ever think about that? He never anticipated, he never expected, never desired for you and I to go throughout life with only our own knowledge. You may think you know something, but my friend, you don't know enough to make it through life successfully without God. You don't. Now, we want to be informed and we want to be established upon the Word of God, but you and I need God. We need to know what He knows. We need to submit every decision and every choice and every reaction to Him. And allow He and His Word to influence us abundantly. You know, as we think about this decision, you want to make the wrong decision? Well, rely and depend upon your own sight. Your limited perceptions and prioritize that, prioritize that over what is known to God. And I'd like to interject something else as well. Israel fell into the lies of pride, thinking that they could handle it all by themselves. That, this chapter just reeks of, of Israel saying, I can handle this. I can, we can do this. Joshua said, you know what? This is, a, this is a simple problem. You ever have a simple circumstance or issue or problem in life turn into a, a big one? It blows up? 
You know what sometimes we do? We look at a simple little thing. We don't think it's a big deal. We make a bad decision, and all of a sudden it blows up. And what happened? Well, we turned a small thing into a big thing because we walked by sight. It's happened in my life. There's times I've regret that I've walked by sight, and boy, it just took a little simple thing, a, a thing that could have easily been taken care of. This could have, you know what? This could have been easily mentioned. Or if Israel had handled this correctly, can I tell you, we may never have known about it. It might not have been in Joshua. It may have just been one, one verse, one sentence, and uh, Israel defeated the Gibeonites and left none of them alive. Could just have been a long, another one in a long list of a city and a nation of people that they obeyed God in, in taking care of. But here we are, a small decision, a little thing they're faced with, a little choice, a little decision, and because they walked by sight and saying, okay, God, we need you, it blew up. It's a big problem, big issue for them. And you say, well, how does that happen? What, 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 well, let me just share this truth with you, which ought to impact every day, every decision that we make, and it ought to have impacted the decision that Joshua and the leaders made that day. You say, what is it? Here it is. It's two parts to this truth. Number one, get a hold of this reality. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. you got to abide in me, because without me, ye can do nothing. Now that is just a punch to the gut of the old American spirit, isn't it? Now we as Americans, we can do anything. We can handle anything. Well, may I tell you, if you're a believer that believes the Word of God, the fact is this, without Him, we can do nothing. Without Him, we can do nothing. That's reality, and that's a stark, harsh sometimes disappointing reality but can i tell you the good news is there's potential i can do all things through christ which strengtheneth me philippians 4 13 so reality without me you can do nothing potential with god we can do anything i can handle anything i can face anything and my friend i'll tell you it's as simple as the basics of christianity but it would do us well every day to remind ourselves of our reality and our potential. You know, I can't handle today, Monday. Some of us hate Monday. You know? Some of you say, oh, Mondays are so hard. Can I tell you, you can wake up tomorrow and face Monday because you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. But if you try to face Monday without God and you try to make decisions and do things without God, I'll tell you, you'll find out real, real, real quick, without me, you can do nothing. Fall flat on your face, make some bad decisions, and, and then some of you are like, I wish I never got up. I wish we could go straight to Tuesday. Hey, listen, you can face any day, face anything, overcome anything through Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There's another truth, and uh, we're throwing a lot at you this morning, and I hope you'll get it. There's another truth that confronts us. You know what it is? It's this reality that Joshua and Israel found out. Walking by sight often produces lifelong consequences that become thorns in the flesh and reminders of past failures. This is probably the most disappointing part of life. When you and I make a mistake and we walk by sight, sometimes they can be lifelong consequences of that. We call them scars. We call them the reminders. We call them things that are there. And, and that is the case here. They travel a few days, as the chapter would bear out if we had time to read it. Israel and the nation travel. Three days later, they find out, wait a second, Gibeon's right here smack dab in the middle of the promised land. We've been fooled. 
The people of Israel are like, kill them. We've got to smite them. And the, Joshua and the princess says, no, wait a minute. We swear, we swore by the name of the Lord. We, we promised them that we, we would let them live. And so now the great quandary, great problem. There's dissension. There's problems in the camp. Now, the spiritual mountaintop of what Israel was enjoying has completely been lost. And now we've got problems. We've got issues. All created by a simple decision in which they walked by sight and not by faith. They go on, they take this group of people, and they say, okay, well, we can't kill them because we swore to them, so let's do this. We'll make them servants of the congregation. They'll draw the water. They'll get the wood and take care of that. And not only for the congregation, he says, for the altar of the Lord. I I would surmise that that means the temple, that they uh, supported the temple, got the water and the wood as necessary, whatever was needed to burn on the altar and things like that. So now they became the servants of Israel. But listen to me, even as early as the next chapter, the consequences rear their ugly head. The next chapter, some kings aren't happy about what Israel did in making treaty with the Gibeonites. They're mad at Gibeon, and so they say this. Let's gather together. In fact, the king of Jerusalem was with them in many other cities. They gather together, and they say, we're going to attack Gibeon because they made this treaty with Israel. And they go do that, and guess what? Here come the servants of Gibeon uh, coming to Israel, who are they're now their servants, and they're saying, listen, we need your help. And so here's Israel. They're having the headache and the problem of going and defending the city of Gibeon all because of what? One bad decision, mistake, walking by sight. Throughout generations, the Gibeonites are found there in the nation of Israel. Always a vivid reminder, we made a mistake, man. We walked by sight. We gave our emotions more, uh, more value than they deserved. We gave our own thinking more credence and credibility. We walked by sight. We allowed what we saw to be more important to us in making a decision than what God knew. And boy, what consequences they reaped. So let me ask you this, the antithesis of that. That is walking by sight. What is walking by faith? Well, we've all seen the illustration. We probably all heard it. In fact, we had a speaker here speak of it at one point. Uh, you ever seen a couple's banquet? One of the great games is to blindfold one spouse and make the other spouse give directions. I think whoever was speaking here, they were talking about driving a tractor, and the, the one spouse was giving directions and so forth. We, I've seen it with wrapping a, a present and other ways in which one spouse is blindfolded. The other spouse is giving directions, telling them what to do. Now do this, do this. Watch out on your left, watch out on your right. And boy, that is great for marriage communication. Amen. It's fun to watch if you're not the one doing it. Amen. I always like to watch those things, and afterwards you might find a couple of those couples go back to their table, and all of a sudden they start bickering a little bit. You don't know your directions. Well, you don't listen well. Well, you don't give good directions. They just start going, and you don't know left from your right. You don't. And boy, it's kind of funny, isn't it? If you're not that couple. Uh, <laughs> But it's kind of humorous, isn't it? Well, it really does say something. It does reveal. It does kind of inform us a little bit of what walking by faith is. It's not a mindless, ignorant, trustless going through life or a decision. No, that's really foolish. There are certain components to walking by faith that we've got to remember. The first is this. What is walking by faith? Number one, it's the reality of that you have faith in the person directing you. You have faith in them. Whether it's a blindfolded spouse or you and I in life, we have faith in the one from whom we are getting directions. We trust them. 
Because if you, unless you have faith and trust in the person calling the shots, walking by faith ain't going to happen. You must possess complete and absolute faith in that person. They are good, they are right, they are knowledgeable, and they won't lead us astray. And all those things are certainly true of God, friend. And I would ask you, do you believe God is just? Do you believe God is right? Do you believe God is all-knowing? Do you believe God will never lead you astray? We may pay lip service to that. We, we may say, yeah, I believe that, and in word we do, but frequently we fail at walking by faith. And if that is the case, we've got to honestly ask ourselves, do I really trust God? Do I really have faith in God? Oh yeah, for salvation, I'm saved, I'm knowing going to heaven, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, but when it comes to life, do I really trust that God knows best? Do I really trust it? Do I, uh, do I really trust that he, know, he is right, He is good, and He knows best? Because I'll tell you, much more than what your words say, your life will reveal whether that's true. Because you'll follow his directions. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You'll say, okay, God, I, you're going to give me every step. I likened it yesterday. I used that verse as we were preaching at the jail ministry there. And, and I've told you before, one of the worst creations ever for parents are Legos. They are not fun on the ground in a dark house. They're not fun to step on. Now, it's great when you have a flashlight, and boy, it directs you so you can take every step without stepping on a Lego or some other toy just like it. Don't stub your toe on something. You don't hit anything. You have a light, and it's directed. May I tell you, the fact is this. You know what walking by faith is? It's allowing God, through His Word, to be that great light that just shines. So every step I take, I won't stumble, I won't get hurt, and I'll stick to the path. That's what God wants. And it takes faith and trust in God. It takes faith and trust that He is going to lead me and guide me correctly, that, that He indeed knows best. You see, your life will answer that question, do I trust God much better than your words ever will? Case of Israel, their actions scream that in this instance, they really didn't have faith in God. They didn't believe that he knew best, and they didn't, give, uh, they didn't give his wisdom the chance to prove it. They didn't turn to God to gain that wisdom to make a good decision. Now, isn't that a great disconnect than what we read in chapter 8? They're worshiping God. They built an altar. They're living victorious. They just beat Ai. They're reading the Word of God. They're listening to the Word of God. And my goodness, we come to chapter 8, huge disconnect. Now may I challenge you, Christian, there better not be a huge disconnect in our lives. We come to church on Sunday. We read our book and the Bible throughout, his book throughout the week, and then we turn around and make terrible decisions. That's a huge disconnect that ought not to be in our lives. His word and our time spent with him ought to influence and impact and inform our living. It's God's desire. Make sure that disconnect is not in your life. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I follow after God. But reality is you really don't trust God. You don't seek his wisdom each and every decision and each and every choice and reaction. And you go through life. You're not really trying to walk by faith. Just a few verses, they go from experience victory, worshiping God, listening to His Word instructions to falling flat on their face because they depended on their own thinking. Their own emotions ran away with them and they lived by sight. 
We all can suffer from it at times in this kind of disconnect. Number two, you know what walking by faith is? You have faith in and obedience to the words of the person. See, when you trust someone, there's a natural flowing from the trust in that person to a trust in what they say. The instructions that they give. The direction that they point us to go. So I trust him. I trust God. Therefore, I trust his counsel completely. I trust his instructions and advice to be the best that I can be. How did David put it? His words, his testimonies are like gold unto me. Uh, It's the gospel truth. You can take them to the bank. They're my walking orders, my instructions for life. Israel failed earlier in doing this at the Battle of Jericho. They paid a hard price for it. God said, don't take anything. Achan goes in, takes something. They paid for it. Later on, God said, hey, I want you to remove all the people from the promised land. We get into Joshua and later on, they didn't do that. And that creates a huge problem down the road. God said, you get in the promised land. Don't mix with the other nations. Don't worship false idols. What does Israel do? They do the exact thing they were told not to. And it causes great problems. See, it's interesting that you would have to say, you'd have to reason back. Wow, they didn't trust that God's word, advice, and counsel was best, so they really didn't have faith in God. They really didn't trust him like they ought to have. It's not really walking by faith. Number three, quickly, the last thing, walking by faith, that means that when they are contrary one to another, emotion, sight, and personal thinking take a back seat to what God says. So when these things are in contrary or contrast one to another, I push sight, my own thinking. I push my own reasoning. I push these things to the back seat, my emotions. May I put it this way, and listen carefully to this statement. The value of the counsel of the one whom I trust far outweighs what I perceive about a situation, how I feel about circumstances, and what I think personally about the decision when they are in contrast. Let me repeat that. The value of the counsel of the one whom I trust far outweighs what I perceive about a situation, how I feel about circumstances, and what I think personally about a decision when they are in contrast. I value God's counsel above all else. David said, they are my delights and my counselor. Your word. See, yes, there are times when all of those line up, some of them line up, and that, we ought to be thankful when that occurs. And that ought to be our eventual goal. But when at first there is God's word, God's instructions, his leading by the Holy Spirit, giving direction and guidance, and then our emotions aren't matching up. What I see doesn't seem to fit what God is saying. What I, what I think is on a different page than what God has revealed to me through his word and the Holy Spirit, uh, then the reality is I walk by faith. And that demands that I stick first and foremost with God's word, God's instructions and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Oh, in time, and we've all found this out, in time, as I follow God, my emotions will fall in line. They will fall in step. In time, I can change my thinking through the renewing power of the the Word of God, the transforming power of the Word of God. In time, I will see that God's will and God's way and God's Word, His counsel is always right. Israel learned that lesson in this chapter. May I submit to you this morning as we bring this message to a close, if you want to make a bad decision, just follow Israel's example. Walk by sight. Value what you see much more than what God knows. 
allow yourself to be ran, uh, carried away, controlled by your emotions. Make decisions based on your emotions. And then lean on your own thinking. Don't seek counsel of God. Don't ask God to speak to that specific situation. You'll make a mess of life. You'll make a bad decision, and the consequences will be obvious. But my friend, if you want to make a good decision, if you want to see God's hand of blessing in your life, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Say, what does that look like? Well, we've seen it, but let me just put it in three concise takeaways. Number one, exercise faith in who God is. May I just submit to you, He is perfect and trustworthy 100% of the time. So exercise faith in God. I will trust Him. Number two, that means if I trust Him, number two, I'm going to exercise faith in obedience to the Word of God and His instructions. Why? Because God's Word is infallible. It is successful 100% of the time. 100% 100% of the time. Number three, can I tell you, we have to work at kicking our emotions, our own thinking, and our sight out of the driver's seat and give God the keys. Why? Because doing so will get you where you're going, will send you in the right direction, will allow you to arrive at the destination 100% of the time. And I don't know about you, but I like the percentage 100%. And walking by faith will allow you to have it. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful that, Lord, you have guided and directed us through it. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit that has illuminated us with its truth. And, Lord, we ask today that you would, now in this invitation, that you would prick our hearts, you would convict us where this past week, the past month, the past year, there have been instances where we've walked by sight. And, Lord, no doubt that even in this message, as we've considered the, what Israel and Joshua did, our hearts were pricked. There were, our minds were drawn back, and our conscience, the Holy Spirit, spoke to us about some situations where we allowed a decision to grow much bigger than it should have been, the, the consequences to be much uh, greater than they should have been because we walked by sight. Father, I pray in this invitation, in just a few moments, we'll make that right. May there be many Christians in this auditorium that confess, Father, this situation last year I walked by sight. May we bring that to you. May we confess it and forsake walking by sight. Lord, may you restore us in that way. And then, Lord, I I pray there's be some, no doubt, facing some decisions. Every day we face them, but some big decisions, Lord, that this week, this month ahead, that, Lord, we endeavor and realize we really need to walk by faith. And so, Lord, I pray in this invitation, we'd commit those things to you. We'd express our faith in you. We'd express our commitment and surrender to you and your word. And then, Father, I pray that we would claim the potential that is there that with Christ, through Christ, we can do all things. And, Lord, may we cry out to you to empower us this day, this week, this year. May we live an empowered life for you and for your glory. And Lord, I pray each and every day we'd find ourselves walking by faith and not by sight. Help us, Lord. We are weak. We have the flesh that we battle often. And Lord, the pool of the world is always there. And yet, Lord, we know through you we can do all things. May we plead it, may we claim it, and then, Lord, may we live it. Thank you for all that you've promised us. Help us now in this invitation. May we spend some sweet time talking with you and confirming the decisions we've made and meditating upon the truth that you have presented to us. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium, every head bowed, every eye closed. The piano begins to play as God has spoken, unless you and I do business right there in your pew. If not there, you can come to this old-fashioned altar. You can spend some time in prayer reflection about what he has taught us this morning and what let's make a determination let's make a commitment that from this day forward lord i i want to be marked by walking by faith not by sight lord would you help me i'll only be able to do it through your power your guidance and direction help me to lean on you day by day let's do business with him friend.